Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. As we close in on the new year, it's often a time for planning. And maybe, just maybe, you're starting to plan out your adventures for 2020. Where are you going to travel to? What are you going to do? Well, today's episode is going to knock your socks off. If you're not wearing socks, it's going to knock your sandals off. If you're not wearing anything, I don't want to knock your bare feet off. But anyway, we're talking about the world's cheapest destinations revised. We have five new destinations to add to this list. I've previously published a podcast on the world's cheapest destinations with my friend Tim Leffel, who's the author of a guide of the same name. And we're sharing with you an updated list, five new countries to add and dig into why they're worth seeing. And a little teaser for you, three of these destinations are European destinations, which is pretty interesting. So stick around for that. Plus, I've got a shout out to one of you incredible souls in the Zero to Travel listening community. And a little something to share at the end of the show as you finalize your 2020 travel plans and all of your plans for the upcoming year. Uh, I've got a couple things to share for you that might help you out and some things to consider. So stick around for all that and much more. It's happening today. Yes, right now. Buckle up, strap in, grab your favorite beverage, relax. Thanks for being here. And it's time for a little you time. Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now, your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks so much for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Thanks for joining me today, my friend. I'm sitting here recording this in my apartment, looking at some Christmas lights already. It's the end of November, but hey, never too early for me to see little little lights up around here and there. I got a nice star thing. They're decorating the tree up there, which reminds me what's coming up soon. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, or if you haven't, you should know every year I have a Norwegian Christmas spectacular, or at least for the last five years I've had it because I've spent Christmas here. And five years ago, I remember saying, oh, six years ago now, I remember saying to myself that I wanted to have a Christmas special on the podcast because it's fun, a holiday special. So uh, that's coming up in just a few weeks. But if you're looking to get into the holiday spirit, 
early. You can go back into the archives anytime. Just search Norwegian Christmas Spectacular in the Zero to Travel feed, and you'll find no less than five episodes <laughs> dedicated to Christmas. You'll hear what Christmas is like in Norway and a bunch of other surprises along the way. And these episodes are a blast. I have my wife on and we talk all about traditions and the holiday season. So if you're somebody who likes to get cozy with that stuff, then please go check those out and enjoy them. Now, let's talk about today's show because we've got a special one for you. I love to do destination shows. You know, I like to mix it up here on the podcast. This is a show for you guys and I do a combination of things. A lot of times we're talking about you know, different lifestyles around travel and things like that, but today we're talking destinations. And I had my buddy Tim Leffel on, who is a best-selling author, award-winning travel writer, and an expert on uh, destinations all over the world. And he writes a world's cheapest destinations guide. We did a podcast a while back featuring all of those destinations. You can listen to that in the archives if you just search world's cheapest destinations. It is one of the most popular shows that we put out there. And he's been traveling around for the last year or two researching the next guide. And he made some additions and some switches to this list. And we're going to cover them all today. So you're in for a treat because hey, if you're like me, you know, you're always filing things away for your travel bucket list or trying to get some new destinations on the radar, some new ideas. You're going to get them in this episode and learn why they're worth considering. Before we get into all that, I've got a shout out to share in just a moment. First, I want to thank Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. ZeroToTravel.com slash Tortuga will take you to a page where you'll see all the Tortuga Backpacks that I recommend. It's actually just a handful and you'll get 10% off anything you order when you go through that link just for being a listener to this podcast because they're hooking you up. So if you're looking for a gift for yourself or a friend or a family member, somebody who loves travel, check out this link. Get 10% off just for being a listener to this show. I love Tortuga's backpacks for so many reasons. To name a few, first, it's the layout. I mean, some of these bigger backpacks are really built to help you take everything that you want on your trip, but not have to check a bag. So they're not past the size that the airline won't let you carry it on, which means you're going to save money when you fly, but you're not going to sacrifice bringing the things you want to bring because they've designed the bag in a minimal way where it's maximized the space that you can carry on. It's really incredible and such a time saver when you're traveling and a money saver too. That's just one of many reasons why I love these backpacks. Everything from the material they're made out of and the construction to the bells and whistles and the amount of pockets they have, which is just the right amount to stay organized, but nothing too overwhelming. I could go on and on. Check out their stuff, zerototravel.com slash Tortuga. I know you're going to love it. You'll see the stuff I recommend there and you'll get 10% off for being a listener to this show. And you'll also be supporting this show at no extra cost to you if you go through that link because I'm an affiliate for them and we've been partners for years and you've heard me mention them on the podcast before. So if you've been waiting to pull the trigger or you want to get a gift for somebody, now's the time. Just go to that link and you'll get 10% off there. Thanks so much to Tortuga for supporting this show. Now let me get into the show right now. I was going to give a shout out here. We're going to save that for after the interview because I know you're dying to hear these destinations and get the updates. What are the new world's cheapest destinations? Why are they worth visiting? What makes them awesome? You're going to learn right now. Stick around to the end. I will give a shout out to somebody in this community and a little food for thought on your destinations and your travel plans for next year. Some things to consider. Stick around for that and I will see you on the other side, my friend. 
so excited to welcome my good buddy here today. He's back again. I mean, I don't know how many times you've been on the podcast now, Tim. A few times at least. Well, we did a we did a two part thing, so I'm not sure if there was something apart from that. But we talked for a couple hours uh, a while back. Yeah, we had you on. I think one other time, and yeah, the, the episodes you're referring to are. I think one of them is the most downloaded episode in the Zero to Travel podcast feed, which is uh, the the world's top 24 cheapest destinations. We do a part one and part two because we just. We rocked out. You rocked it out so hard on the mic, we couldn't even fit it all into one episode. So we had to do two. <laughs> well, man, I'm glad it resonated. I'm glad people downloaded it and checked it out. Well, it was great, man. And uh, funny enough, that's why you're back. And um, we're not going to do 24 destinations again, because if you want to get a good picture of what we talked about before, and we, of course, we dove into a bunch of other topics. I was just re-listening to part one because it was a while ago that we recorded it. I know a lot of those destinations still stand and you have just updated your definitive guide, the world's cheapest destinations. Now, 26 countries where your travel dollars are worth a fortune. Um, So I'm talking to Tim Leffel. He's the author of that. And your job is really to help people find the cheapest and best destinations around the world to travel or to make home. That's not a terrible job, right? Yeah, it's a good job, and I have to go out and check out these places, of course, and give the give the dirt. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the number actually went up. Uh, we it used to be twenty one destinations or twenty one countries, and now it's up to twenty six. So, the good news is the world is not getting more expensive in uh, in a general sense. There's still plenty of bargains out there, and maybe even more than there used to be. Just because countries that were normally really tough to travel around in many years ago have gotten a lot easier. So it's a positive. Yeah. And when we were talking about this episode, uh, we didn't want to rehash some of the stuff we've already covered. Of course, you can listen to those episodes I just referred to. But I said, well, what's you know different about the list? And we could talk about how and why some things updated. But you said, well, there's five new destinations that you've added, like you mentioned. So we're going to go through those five today. And of course, I'm gonna have I'm gonna pepper you with some other questions and travel tips for all. Basically, like if you're listening to this podcast right now, you get to listen in on like the conversation I'd be having with Tim over a beer if uh anytime I can corner him to talk about travel. Or maybe two. <laughs> yeah, maybe two. Probably at least a couple, you know. Uh on some <laughs> rooftop deck somewhere watching a sunset. Um by awesome, the way, yeah. I, your website uh as it pertains to this. Uh, book and some of the uh, stuff you write about around this topic is cheapestdestinationsblog.com. But man, how many websites do you have? Actually, I lose track. I run five in total. It used to be six and I sold one a few years ago because I was trying to cut down a little bit. But uh, one of them is just for travel writers. So that's kind of an inside baseball kind of thing. It's um, for my, it goes along with another book I have out called Travel Writing 2.0. So that's not a, uh, an ongoing thing that I'm uh, writing about destinations or travel so much. It's more interviewing other writers, but uh, the other four are all um, travel related, get out there and go kind of things. One of the destinations I'm going to ask you about now is not one of the five, but since you were just there and I was wishing I was there because we were texting, uh, I think when you were there was the, there was a travel bloggers conference and it took place in Montana right? I know this yes, isn't on the list, Billings, but man, Montana. yeah, you started kind of talking about what it was like out there. I was like, well, wait, hold on. We got to record because we don't want to miss any of this. So <laughs> just talk about, uh, lead us in with that because you were just there. We can talk about a place you just wore, even though it's not on the list. 
Sure. And it was exciting for me because that was the first time I had been out to the Wild West at all. And Oh, really? Montana. Man, if you've never been to Montana, it's a great place to drive around because there is nobody on the roads. It's really great. You Big could be sky, going 80 right? miles an hour. Yeah. I mean, that whole area, it's like uh, the only time you run into traffic is if you're driving through Glacier National Park and, you know, it's a windy road through a popular place. But the rest of the time, man, you you just have to watch out for deer or buffalo crossing the road things like that but the speed limit's 80 on the interstates and and then you get onto a two-lane road and it'll be 70 <laughs> because there's just no traffic right. really, then but, it feels um, like it's weird because then you feel like you're going really slow when you're still going 70 <laughs> right like just going from yeah, 80 to 70 crazy. it's like man this is taking forever <laughs> i know but uh it's uh there's so much to see there it's such a beautiful area we went down to wyoming too and um it's not like the cheapest place in the world in terms of hotels and things like that. It's the U.S. after all, but it's not um, expensive by any means. And I went to a lot of brew pubs and the average was kind of, you know, four or five bucks for a, a beer. But um, the great bargain out in that area is the U.S. National Parks. And anybody that's been to a bunch in one year knows what I'm talking about. You can get a annual park pass for $80 for your car. I mean, basically it's for you and whoever's in the car with you. So even if you just go to two parks like we did over three or four days, that's still a pretty good deal if you compare it to, you know, Machu Picchu or Petra or something like that. But then if you go to more parks throughout the year, I mean, it, it gets to be ridiculously cheap. So that's my tip of the week. Go get an annual national park pass. I really think it's arguably the best travel deal on the planet. Like if you're if you're going to take advantage of it, like you said, you're driving around, you're going to a lot of these because the places are spectacular. First of all, I'm obsessed with national parks. Uh, they're just such wonderful places to visit. And it's not that hard to get away from the tourists, right? If you just hike a little into the backcountry or just go to certain spots, um, you can get away. Yeah, from Yeah, that's you know? it. Yeah, the main roads are pretty crowded because they're super popular, at least the ones I went to, Glacier National Park and Yellowstone. and But they're popular for a good reason. I mean, I must have taken... 800 pictures between the two of them, you know, they're just so amazing. But, but yeah, you can get onto a hiking trail and then a mile later, you know, there's hardly anyone else around. And, and we even went on some pretty popular trails. Um, cause you know, we had a limited amount of time or whatever, but if I were spending a week in these places, there's dozens of trails you can go on where you'll hardly see anybody else. So take your bear spray just in case. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. No, they're, uh, they're just a tr an incredible places to visit the last thing i'll say is if you buy the the annual pass like i imagine a good portion of that if not all of it's going to the national park so i always think of it as like a donation to the national parks right it's like hey, yeah man. i agree i, I kind of feel like it should be more honestly because the, i met the guy who runs yellowstone national park the really? head ranger or whatever he's called um he came to tbex to speak which was great the bloggers conference and he said they've gotten um in the last couple of years a million more visitors but they have the same number of staff so um wow. be nice to your park rangers and uh and consider that a worthy contribution when you buy uh, your entrance wow yeah you always hear these crazy stories every year you know like news of the weird or somebody dies in some ridiculous way at these national parks because uh i don't know they're not respecting how things work in in nature really like it's like it's no joke right i mean you go out into nature in some right. places like you said bring your bear spray you could be like oh ha ha but like no seriously like if you're going to the backcountry in montana you probably have to have bear spray with you right yeah and <laughs> 
<laughs> Here's my factoid that I came away with. A bison can run three times as fast as we can. Three times? So, um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, right. don't get too close to these wild animals. And, you know, elk have these big antlers that they're they're perfectly willing to point at you and charge if you get too close. So, That's crazy. And those geysers are literally boiling water. So you right. don't want to go after your sunglasses that you dropped <laughs> How did you like the vibe out west being because you well, and we'll get into this in a minute, but you split time between Florida and Mexico. What, yeah. What did you think of the vibe? Yeah, out west? It was interesting. It was you get that same um, city versus rural divide you do all over the U.S. Like I think you have these cowboys and pickup trucks everywhere. And then you also have these super liberal people driving around in their Subaru plastered with bumper stickers. So, you know, it's uh, interesting when you get into Bozeman and Missoula, it's pretty, um, you know, it's pretty hip and cool and lots of great places to go and fun, you know, pubs and coffee shops and all that stuff. But, you know, then you see um, ranches for sale, that have 800 acres, you know, and that's a normal thing <laughs> to wow. see these uh, big uh, stretches of land with just nothing but cows. What is like one of the funniest bumper stickers you've seen? I love looking at those bumper stickers. I don't know why. <laughs> well, you see some, you know, super some of them are conservative so ones. And, right. And then, but you know, a lot about guns out there. Um, and, and in all fairness, it's hunting territory. So a lot of people have guns for the right reason, but, um, a lot of those cut up bumper stickers, but also ones on the other end of the scale. The one I loved the best said, uh, if you hate socialism, then get off our roads and out of our national parks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, That's know, a long bumper a sticker, of both. right? You need it like is. you need a truck just to fit that bumper sticker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's get into some of these destinations. And I, I, you were kind of saying offhandedly, like, yeah, well, I have to go to visit all these places. And I'm like, Tim, first of all, is this book like a big excuse for you to just go travel the world again? You're like, oh, gotta update my guide. <laughs> Sorry, honey. That was part of uh, <laughs> that was part of my excuse for going to the Balkans in Europe a couple of years ago. So yeah, but a lot of times I'm going for other reasons. I'm on an assignment, or I get invited on a press trip, or something. But um, one, one that we can talk about at the end that I don't have in here, except as an honorable mention that's high on my list is the country of Georgia. So that's the next one I got to go to. Yes. Yeah. For my book research. Yeah. For your book research. Uh, you know, if you need a, <laughs> a co-pilot or something, you know, let me know. I'm dying to get over there too. Okay. We're going to tick down these and I'm going to start with Mexico, which is, these are in no particular order. Just to kind of recap, these are the five new destinations to this guide. And when was the guide last updated at the time of this recording? Was so it like five, five years ago. Five years ago. Um, so I, I do this basically every four or five years. And honestly, one thing you sort of brought up in the beginning is the prices don't change that much in these countries. I mean, it's not like, you know, Vietnam was a bargain. And then five years later, it's the price of Switzerland, you know, I mean, they, right. they still stay relatively cheap compared to their neighbors. Um, but things do change in terms of currency fluctuations and visa laws and whatever. So um, I do update it because of that. And also because from a practical standpoint, people start looking at the uh, copyright date and go, oh, it's old. I'm not going to buy that. So right. <laughs> I have to update it for that reason. <laughs> well, also getting the new destinations on the radar. And like you said, that 
you know, these destinations rise up, but also the world economy changes and there's other factors. But I mean, Mexico, I want to start with because I know it's near and dear to your heart. Uh, well, I mean, you got to kind of fill everybody in about your relationship with Mexico. What is your relationship with Mexico, Tim? Like if, we, if I say Mexico, what, like give, do some free association here. What kind of comes to your mind? What kind of feeling do you get? So great food, fun, sociable people, a lot of culture that's built in here. And then also a lot of history that makes even the oldest city in the United States look like it's brand new. I mean, there's buildings that go back to the 1500s here just from the Spanish times. And then you've got all the Mayan ruins that are well before that and Teotihuacan and places like that. So I, it also has nice weather, which is a, another plus, especially I live in the mountains up at 6,000 feet. So it's pretty much, uh, you know, nice all year. You can sit outside all year and eat lunch and that kind of thing. But, um, I've started coming here since, um, my daughter was three. We got her a passport and this is the first place we came and now she's in college. So that gives you an idea of, um, how long I've been coming to Mexico off and on. And when I first started coming, it was 10 pesos to the dollar and now it's 19 pesos to the dollar. Yeah. So that is the it's main reason like this double cheap. Yeah, like it's almost hundred percent cheaper. Or yeah. Mean? Yeah. So that's the main reason this went from being an honorable mention to being having its own full chapter. It's not just because I live here and I wanted to highlight it. I mean, it, it's Mexico does fine on its own without me promoting it. But um, the other reason is if you're coming from the U.S. or Canada, flights to here are pretty cheap. A lot of times pretty much the same as you would fly domestically, especially if you're if you get the chance to go on Interjet or Volaris or one of those Mexican carriers. So if you add it all together, if you're just going somewhere for a couple of weeks, um, you're your vacation in Mexico could be cheaper than your vacation to say Thailand or Cambodia or, um, you know, Peru just because the flights are cheaper. So, um, yeah. in the end it comes out to be a better deal. Yeah. Okay. So you've been there so long. I mean, I think I want to stay on this destination a little bit for, I mean, I could say resettling purposes or maybe more for more extended stays. I mean, I know this is, a place that a lot of digital nomads are going. Not that they weren't going there before, but I, I definitely think it's on the rise as a place to go and set up shop for a good period of time. Uh, so I was wondering, I guess the first place to start would be which areas of the country would you recommend checking out? Yeah, so I do want to give one caveat that from a digital nomad standpoint, if you're looking for a scene like Chiang Mai or Barcelona or someplace like that, you're going to have a, kind of a tough time finding it here where there is a bit of a scene of digital nomads or just expats that are still working. I would say those are the primary ones are probably Mexico City and Playa del Carmen and maybe uh, in a far number three would be Merida. And of those three, Merida is definitely the cheapest. So yeah. it's going to keep coming on strong, I think. Uh, where I live, there's nobody doing what I am. <laughs> so it's kind of, uh, if I, if I came here to find a scene, this was not the place to come. You kind of have to be at a point in your career, uh, your business where you're able to network virtually and go to conferences and whatever, because there's live? not a lot of, I live in Guanajuato, Mexico. Yeah, I guess I never mentioned that, but I'm in the middle of the country up in the mountains. It's about four hours north of Mexico City and about uh, an hour and a half from San Miguel de Allende, which more people have heard of, and about two hours from where you and I were hanging out last, which is Querétaro. Yeah, it seems like generally it's these inland spots that are 
the best deal, of course, because a lot of people want to be near the beach. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's great to hang out at the beach in Mexico. And uh, there are some pretty cheap ones, actually, if you get outside of the main resort centers. Like, um, you know, Puerto Escondido is a pretty good deal. The places north of Puerto Vallarta, when you get about an hour out of there, are a pretty good deal. And um, the ones near Merida, Merida are dirt cheap. They're just really sleepy. So, you can find cheap beaches in Mexico, but uh, you can find a, a better deal and more culture, I think, when you go into the interior. And overall, it's just less expensive to rent an apartment and that kind of thing. So just share with everybody like how you've worked Mexico into your life, because I think it's really interesting because it, you might have some ears perk up if anybody's listening and they have a kid or they're considering having a family. Obviously, you've You've raised a child, uh, but you've still made Mexico a big part of your life. You want to talk about how you and your wife kind of manage that? Yeah. So my daughter went to school for three years here in Spanish. So her Spanish is 10 times better than mine. But <laughs> How old was she uh, for that? We part, when she first came here, she was 10. So she okay. did um, one year of elementary school. And then we came back and she did two years of middle school. Uh, and then we returned to the U.S. so she could finish high school. So she did um, – her last stretch was eighth and ninth grade here, and then she went back. But um, the the reason we chose Mexico, besides all of those factors that I mentioned earlier, the food and the people and all that, is that it's pretty close to the U.S. and easy to get home. And we still had family back there, and I still have business back there. And so we didn't – we talked about going somewhere far-flung like – Thailand or Malaysia or Argentina or something. But in the end, it just seemed like too much of a hassle. And it's also easy to be on a similar time zone to the U.S. or Canada, which is a big plus when you're trying to do business. As I'm talking to the guy living in Norway, <laughs> it's just uh, a lot easier to do business from here. And really, um, Mexico and U the U.S. are pretty intertwined. Um, politics aside, we you know, we do a tremendous amount of trade together. The people are moving back and forth constantly. So there's a pretty uh, friendly relationship between the two person to person. You know, if you put aside what any of our national leaders are saying, I think we're pretty well intertwined. So yeah. it's an easy place to come live and they make it fairly easy uh, for you to get residency if you want temporary okay. residency and then eventually permanent if you want. But I mean, just coming here as a traveler, you get you get 180 days just for walking into the airport. So if you want to come travel around a while, this is a really great place to do it. Hmm. And then if you use that up, you can just like hop the border for a day and come back and get a new stamp. Is it exactly? Wow. Yeah. Just okay. take a vacation to Guatemala or go back home for Christmas and then do it all over again. Yeah. There's a lot of perks and it sounds like for you guys, there was a lot of the practical aspects. Uh, and then for your daughter now that she's in college, right? Yeah. Um. How how does she look back on that time there? Like, she would was she like, did she enjoy it? Was that a tough thing for her to be away from the states, or how did that work out? She enjoyed it once she got here and adapted pretty quickly, and I think she did all right and made you know made friends really fairly easily, and still talks to those friends, and she comes back to visit now and then, but she really wanted to be in a high school that looked like one on the movies and TV where there's lockers and a cafeteria and all that and a big drama program, which was, she was active in. And she was just um, not getting the same kind of experience here that she really deep down wanted. So it was kind of a collective decision to go back. 
Yeah, cool. And um, you guys own a place there, right? Yeah, we rented for a year, which I strongly advise everyone to do because you don't have a good sense of prices and neighborhoods and all until you do that, I think. And then we eventually bought something because it was just kind of a, a deal we couldn't pass up. So yeah. now we live in a house that we own free and clear, which is a beautiful thing because there's not really a mortgage system here in most places. So we sold something in the U.S. and bought a house here. So it worked out. And then when you go back to the U.S., you just Airbnb it or rent or something like that. Yeah, or stay with a relative. My mother-in-law still lives in Tampa Bay where we were before. So we've got a place to crash. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's it's nice to be able to have a place free and clear for sure. I mean, that's definitely one of my goals. It, it's just to live without a mortgage is, yeah, it just eliminates a huge stress, right? Gives you a lot of freedom for the work yeah. to do too, right? Right. And for most people, that's the biggest expense they have every month, which is why a lot of people can travel around the world for far less than you're probably spending, anybody spending on rent or a mortgage. Yeah. Well, on that topic, and one of the things in your book, you have a very frequently asked questions section. And one of the questions was, how can you afford to travel for so long? Do you want to speak a little to that? Yeah, I think anyone that's listening to this, if they have a job that's portable or if they have enough savings, they could go travel around the world for a year and spend half or less what they're spending now just existing, <laughs> just paying their monthly bills. And that's because once you get outside of a country where everybody's wealthy in relative terms and go to one where people are, you know, getting by on four or five hundred dollars a month, then all of a sudden you're loaded, you know, like you're coming from a country where you're earning you know, five, six, 10 times what they were. So you can live fairly well as a traveler on $50 a day as a single person or maybe 80 as a couple. And, and then you'll be quite comfortable. You'll be eating, eating out a lot, you know, staying in a room with your own bathroom, um, you know, taking a train or bus whenever you need to, catching flights. And still your your monthly expenses will be probably less than you're even just spending on rent at home. And then it'll definitely be less than all your bills added together. Especially if you take a car out of the mix, um, you'll probably stop paying US health insurance, you know, which is also a fortune for most people. So when you remove a lot of those monthly obligations that you suddenly don't have anymore, you have a lot more financial freedom and you can pretty much travel the world and do what you want to do and um, do it on a very reasonable budget, especially <laughs> if you if you avoid the, the Norways of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Music to my ears. Okay. So I know we've talked about this before, but I think the number one question for a lot of people coming out of the state specifically is the health insurance thing. And this is something you talk about a lot, but do you want to just... I mean, maybe you can share how it's been in Mexico for you and what you advise people that are going to be visiting or maybe setting up shop in any of these destinations. I know that's very general, but just some general words of wisdom here I think would be helpful for some people. Well, when I went backpacking around the world, I was younger then and healthy and I did not even have any insurance. And maybe if I went back to have, do it over again, I would 
maybe have some kind of policy, but I didn't even have travel insurance then. So what you learn really quickly is once you get outside of the U.S., um, healthcare costs plummet. And so you can really just pay out of pocket unless you get into some really horrible accident and have to spend a month in the hospital. But if you've got a credit card on you with a, a few grand credit limit, you you can use that as your health insurance for most for most people. But uh, I would advise if you're going traveling around the world, get something maybe from World Nomads or from Allianz. Uh, I have an annual policy from Allianz and I, I'm an ambassador there. So um, take that with a grain of salt, but go check, do your own shopping. But I, I think I spend 140 a year or something like that. And it covers the basics and you can go up a step and maybe spend 250 and get $100,000 of medical coverage if you need it. $250 so for the entire year. Yeah, for the entire year. Yeah. So, and then uh, that also includes luggage lost and, you know, flight delays and all that kind of stuff. So it's well worth it. But um, otherwise, um, if you're going to actually live somewhere, then you might want some kind of expat policy, which is going to cost a, a good bit more if you're um, not including the U.S. It's going to include a lot. It's going to cost a lot more if you are including the U.S. And so we have one of those, my wife and I. And before we had a family plan when it was three of us. And what that does is basically uh, cover us for any kind of catastrophe in Mexico because it's got a kind of high deductible um, or if we're in the U.S. we're covered. And that's my big fear. Like you don't want to go to the hospital in the U.S. and not have some kind of insurance. So this is basically our backup plan. Then you guys pay out of pocket for the regular stuff. Is that right? Yeah. For everything in Mexico, we pay out of pocket and it's so much less than the U.S. that we don't even think about it. I mean, to go to the dentist is $40 to get a cleaning and a checkup. Um, we, we go to this dermatologist once a year to get a, you know, head to toe exam. And I think she might be more like $50 because she speaks English, <laughs> but you know, it's like, uh, and then they give you their cell phone number and say, if you have any problems, give me a buzz, you know, imagine that happening in the United States. <laughs> so so um, what, like, what are your approximate? Those are the nice doctors. Those are the specialists. You know, if you just go to some run of the mill little clinic, it's going to be 10 bucks or less. What are your approximate Sorry. costs like for the year? Um, just approximately, what are you spending? For healthcare, yeah, um, probably twelve hundred a year. You know, maybe a little more if you throw in some prescription drugs that we get. But um, no, it's minimal. I mean, if we go to doctor once or twice a month, it's still gonna not add up to more than that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Thank you for that. What you were referring to before was, uh, I think, to summarize this in, in your book, the first chapter leading into the book before we even get into the destinations is it's not how you go, but where. <laughs> and then you kind of have this, I wouldn't call it a ramp, but just this very convincing argument that lays it out perfectly. And that's kind of what you're getting at here, right? I mean, that's what makes, I think this book so valuable uh, is just understanding the right places to go to get the most bang for your buck, right? Yeah. And it makes a huge difference. I think the example I use in there is sometimes you'll see people post on a forum or the, or they'll ask a question in person, which is, uh, oh, I want to go travel around Europe for two months, but I'm going to stay in hostels. So it'll be cheap, right? And it's like, well, not if you just go to Paris and London and Italy, it's going to cost you a fortune. Or if you go to Switzerland. So, you know, if you pick the right destinations, yeah, you can travel well for cheap in Europe, but um, it's not just how you travel. It's where you actually go because meals and taxis and your bed at night are all going to be 
a quarter to a third of the cost uh, in the cheaper destinations as compared to what they will cost in the most expensive. Right. And of course, you have to measure that with the things you really want to do and see, right? Like if your lifelong dream was to go to Italy, by all means, go to Italy, right? But then maybe if you're on the fence with some maybe other Maybe hop a ferry. Right. <laughs> yeah, maybe go to Italy for a week or two and then hop a ferry and go to Albania and Bosnia and Montenegro and Bulgaria after that. And, um, you know, you got your Italy fixed, but then you're going to go give your wallet a little rest by going to some cheaper places. Balance it out. Um, before we move on from Mexico, are we missing anything uh, important that you want to highlight? No, just... Um, you know, avoid the destinations that you see uh, in every travel magazine. If you go to Los Cabos, it's not going to be a bargain. But if you go to uh, the interior of Mexico or some lesser known beaches, it will be. And learn yeah. some Spanish. <laughs> yeah. We were just <laughs> talking. to get by at least. Yeah. I was just talking about this with somebody the other night, how I think learning the language or learning some of the language seems to be it doesn't make it to the pre-trip checklist very often, if ever. And that's not for everybody. You know, there's a lot of people that are really into learning languages, but, and I, I mean, I'm speaking for myself too. I mean, there's been plenty of trips I've been on where I actually I went to last time I went to Portugal. I was like, I'm really going to learn some Portuguese before I go and just learn a few fra phrases. And I, I didn't get around to learning much at all, <laughs> but it makes yeah. such a huge difference. It does. And I, I can sort of excuse that. I didn't learn any Czech when I went to the Czech Republic either, because my thinking is always, when am I going to be able to use this again? Yeah. Uh, the thing yeah. with thing with Spanish is you can use it from Mexico all the way down to the tip of South America. So it's really, it's a useful language to, yeah. to at least get, you know, get the basics, the phrase book basics down in. How long did it take you to get it down? Do you feel like you're fluent? Can you say you're confidently fluent? No, I'm... I'm still learning. My my main problem is I have a job where I'm working in English all day. So I'm really only using it when I leave my home office. And um, <laughs> I'm in a level where I'm sort of at a plateau. I think I'm going to have to like start doing true study again with a tutor and really um, start working on it because, you know, I watch shows that are in Spanish. I listen to podcasts and whatever, but there's only so much you can do on your own, I think. Yeah, I feel you on that. My Norwegian slips because of I'm not using it at work every day. You know, but that's, hey, I don't know. We're doing the best we can, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And it's with me, it's sort of like, am I going to earn a living and put my kid through college or right. am I going to get better at Spanish? Well, right now I'm going with the former. <laughs> <laughs> the priority list. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to number two, Montenegro. And this is a place I've heard so much about. And as a matter of fact, I interviewed... Pretty recently, it was in the feed, a guy that's been to every country in the world twice. And I said, man, what's like one place that you could just see yourself uh, like living or going back to that you immediately thought, oh, I could just stay here. And I can't remember the name of the town, but it was in Montenegro. I was like, wow. Oh, wow. That's cool to hear. <laughs> to get down there. Talk to us about it. Yeah. And I, I did not spend as much time as I would like. I, I did a biking trip through the country really? um, with... It was like uh, I wrote a story called Biking Across Borders in the Balkans because it was this trip that started in Croatia and then it went through Bosnia and, and Montenegro too. 
and it was really neat. So we were mostly hugging the coast and around the Bay of Kator on that trip. And then I went to a beach area at the end, but I did not get into the interior much. And there's a lot of adventure travel there, some great mountains for hiking and whitewater rafting and things like that. So I'd like to get back and do more of that. But yeah, it's um, it's a great bargain, especially when it comes to food and wine and um, a lot of just beautiful scenery there. I mean, the Bay of Couture is kind of popular, especially during the daytime because people come over from Dubrovnik on day trips. But um, it's just uh, gorgeous scenery and a lot of history there. And um, I liked it a lot. I want to want to return. Well, what would you pay, say, for a nice dinner at a restaurant with, uh, say, like a white tablecloth type? you know, restaurant, nothing over the top fancy, not like you're on the Titanic dining or something, you know, but you know, like a nicer place, you get a bottle of wine, you have desserts, you have like a really killer meal. What would something like that cost for two? Yeah, probably 20 for two, 25 if you're going to a fancier place, but that's in, you know, tourist spots. Like if you're in some village somewhere, it's probably less than that. You know, you can go to the best place in town, but I mean, you can find wine in a store there for literally for a euro. And so it's not going to be the best wine you've ever had. But, you know, if you spend two or three bucks, you're getting something pretty mm-hmm. decent. So, you know, figure even if they mark it up double, it's going to a bottle of wine is going to cost you six or seven dollars in a uh, in a restaurant. So you can really live it up and be a romantic. Yeah. What what is the culture like there that you found? I know you were there for a short time, so it's it's sometimes tough to judge, but um, I know n- nothing. So well, it's important to remember that these countries were at war with each other not too long ago um, yeah. in the 1990s, and it's mostly because they're ethnically quite different. So even though um, they share a lot of the same cuisine and um, you know culture and whatever. Uh, Montenegro, they're mostly Russian Orthodox. So, um, Russia has a big influence there. They're, you know, they're religiously very different than the people in Bosnia and, um, Kosovo and, and Albania. So it feels more Russian in that sense. Like the people are stockier and they're grumpier. <laughs> you know, it's kind right. of funny. Like they, like they have the same, uh, lack of fashion sense sometimes. Um, this is, you know, I'm painting the place with a big brush, but uh, you know, you tend to make these generalizations when you go somewhere. So those are mine, right. but, um, <laughs> You know, one-on-one with people, they're fine, but just they're just kind of gruff when you go into a shop or something like that. But, you know, it's every place has its quirks, and um, I think it's worth it because of the beautiful scenery and the, the bargain prices on meals and everything. Right. Is it the kind of gruff that... Uh, there's like the good gruff, right? Like I would define the good gruff as the, the, like the New York City attitude, say. You know, like, yeah. like you walk into one of those bodegas and they just either give you their hard time or they're like mean to you and you like, it kind of makes you feel good. You know, you're like, oh, it's yeah. supposed to be that way. <laughs> you know, like that <laughs> diner waitress is, is supposed to like kind of blow me off and, and like be chewing gum and smoking cigarettes and more interested in other thing. That's, that's the, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's the experience, right? Is it like that or is it just yeah. like cold shoulder? Eh. Well, it's a little of both. Like I haven't been to Russia, but it's the it's the kind of impression I get people are like, you know, like they're just no bull 
you know, they don't want to smile if they don't have a really good reason to. So they're not just going to greet you with a smile because they own the shop, you know, mm-hmm, right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that kind of gruffness. And, um, I don't know. It, it's mostly, I'm saying this mostly because it's a contrast to the others we're going to talk about, which you find this in the Middle East too. The Middle Eastern countries tend to be um, very hospitable, you know, and then you go to Israel and everybody seems really gruff and rude. And that's kind of what it was like when I went from Bosnia to Montenegro. It was just a difference in the the hospitality and just the way they greet you. Yeah. And I, I remember there were, I've seen a couple different articles in uh just around the internet well you know that's not really saying much it can be articles around the internet and everything but it was something about the cultural difference between uh russians not smiling and you know how much like american smile versus versus russian smile or i don't know yeah who know i mean yeah the way (laughs) the way i'd like to uh illustrate that as I was reviewing hotels in Israel one time and the general managers were all complaining about, you know, finding good staff and that that kind of thing. But, um, this one woman, it was at a Hyatt and she said, um, the tough time they had with employees where was that employees would say, well, why should I smile? I'm not happy. (laughs) 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 Right. That was just such a hard thing to her, you know, like, (laughs) <laughs> keep it real right i mean maybe that's the thing yeah uh, uh, yeah and i was talking to my buddy about this who's traveled a bunch uh just how being in conversations with norwegians and and being like uh oh you know how was your day like oh it was, it was pretty good man it was yeah it was it was it was great you know and it's just like really it was great or like they say really that was like one of the greatest things you've ever done you're like all right well <laughs> maybe not one of the greatest you know <laughs> but you know it's just like our our kind of uh inclination to as americans to just kind of be over enthusiastic i mean it's just part of our culture right i mean if somebody says yeah, oh it was the best you're ever just... you're not i mean it probably literally wasn't the best ever <laughs> but it's just kind of <laughs> yeah, an expression. we're very uh positive and optimistic and then i think we have that tipping culture in restaurants that sort of makes people artificially friendly even if right. uh even if they are not feeling that way inside, they know it's in their best interest to be. <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah, it's just like, because how you doing? How's it going? Is kind of a greeting. It's not really meant to be answered authentically, right? It's just like, yeah. oh, but every once in a while, you'll get to like chatting with the cashier at the gas station stop or something, buying a Snickers, and you're like, oh, how you doing? And they're like, oh, awful. Like, my my uh, boyfriend <laughs> just ran away or whatever. Just like, oh, hey, okay. <laughs> I'm going to get this life story. Now. I didn't really want to hear your life story, <laughs> but thanks anyway. <laughs> I wanted the generic uh, things are good. No. I actually like when people open up like that. I find it refreshing <laughs> because it's like, oh, wow, they're really going to like take this question as, a, as an actual question. Good. I must have meant yeah. I, I asked it in an authentic way, which I do. But it, like anybody, when you're going through your culture and your kind of routines, you're uh, sucked into, you get sucked into it. I mean, you just some of it's autopiloted, right? In some Asian cultures, their, their uh, opening is, uh, have you had your rice today? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I think in Thailand and Korea when we lived there, it was some <laughs> variation of that. Like, um, have you eaten rice today? As in, is that's kind of your? It's just a how you, how's it going? Oh, thing. okay. It's just a how's it going thing. Okay, I was wondering if it was like a hey man, like have you like if somebody said to me, 
have you had your coffee yet? Then it would be like checking in to see if it was safe to talk to me yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it's just a greedy, the how's it going thing. Okay. Got it. That's hilarious. All right. Montenegro. Got to get down there. Uh, well, I say down because I'm in Norway, but over whatever. Yeah. All right. Albania. This is another country on the list. And I was actually just talking to one of our community members about Albania. It was the f- He hadn't really spent a lot of time overseas. And the first place he went was Albania. I was like, really? That's just so interesting because... That's, you know, pe- usually people, somebody's flying to Paris or something, you know? Um, it was interesting <laughs> that he made Albania his first destination. Um, talk to me about Albania. What was your time like there? How long were you there? What did you do? Yeah, it's a very interesting first choice for sure. Um, again, I was not there long enough, I think about a week, and I actually connected with this company there. I'm going to give them a plug called Good Albania. It's like goodalbania.com because I knew nothing about this country apart from like the weird bunkers all around and it used to be a communist dictatorship and whatever. So I connected with this company and they, I did a, a city tour with them that was all um, – communist history based. So that was fascinating. And then we went out into the countryside and um, saw some old ruins that nobody knows about and and like went to this family's house for lunch and drank their homemade wine and stuff. So I felt like I got some good connections thanks to these guys and got got a lot of insight. Mm. But um, it's got some incredible beaches there. It's basically the mirror image of Italy in that respect. And in the um, topography and the climate and everything, because it's right across the Adriatic from Italy. You can actually take a ferry there. And um, so it's, you know, that Mediterranean climate, um, beautiful seasides and all of that. Maybe a little more chock-a-block than Italy because there's more uh, concrete, it seems like, more you know newer buildings that doesn't have quite the history. But there are historic things to see. And um, the capital, Tirana, is about one of the most mellow capitals that I've been to. Another one we're going to talk about in a minute probably is Kyrgyzstan. The capital there was even more mellow. But as far as um, European places, I don't think I've been to a capital city that was – more chilled out than Toronto. There's not much traffic. There's, uh, you know, not a lot of noise. People mm. are just sort of, uh, walking around orderly and happy and, um, not a lot of pollution. So I was mm. happily surprised by a lot of things I found. The guy I talked to, I, I don't know if you experienced this at all. Cause I know you were, sounds like you were with this organization, but he said that it was a little tough with the traveling because it was one of those situations where they don't go anywhere until the bus is full. And there's no real, at least where he was, there was no real bus stops. Like there was no bus station. You kind of had to know where things were departing from and then they wouldn't leave anywhere until they were filled up. So you could be yeah, sitting that's around for a couple for hours. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure the biggest downside of that country is getting around. And all that w- that you just said is true. There's no proper bus station anywhere. You just kind of have to know where to pick it up. And there's no signs on the front. You just have to ask around. And um, I came down from Montenegro to Albania by bus, and it was really just a van. And the guy dropped me off in front of a mall. And I'm like, well, (laughs) now what do I do? And he just said, wait here. I said, okay. And then after a while, another van drove up and took me the rest of the way to where I was going. But yeah, it was pretty weird. (laughs) Isn't that like, couldn't that be part of the upside too, right? Just having the experience of, you know, a place like that where everything, I mean, coming from Scandinavia, like everything's so on time and it's just so easy. It's kind of nice to, for it to be unpredictable in a way, right? 
Yeah, I mean, if you have the right attitude, it's just part of the adventure, you know. And right. so I always tell people, don't schedule yourself too tightly because you never know what's going to come up. And and if you're not stressed out about getting somewhere at a certain time, then you don't really care. You know, you're just like, all right, whatever. This is part of the Albanian experience. Yeah. But if you've got a super tight schedule where you got to be this place Tuesday and this place Wednesday and this place Thursday by a certain time, then you're just asking for trouble. Well, related to that... What do you recommend people do for accommodations in places like this? Because is it kind of so untrodden right now that it's no problem to find accommodations just as you go? So you can kind of be like a more of a spontaneous traveler or do you think it's, I mean, this isn't, of course, these questions are all very general. We're talking about entire countries and general and destinations in, you know, one podcast. So (laughs) results may vary, of course, but yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? Generally well, speaking, does it seem like, oh, because these places are a little less touristed that it's easier to just find places along the way as you go type of thing? Yeah, I still do that sometimes because you find as you travel around the world, the less developed a country is, the less likely that everyone's on the internet. And so I think we just kind of assume we can find anything and everything online, but that's really not the case because sometimes the owner of the guest house, um, it's some person in their 70s <laughs> they've never even right. you know gone on a computer much less posted their uh, their site online so it's getting better all the time of course uh, as the world advances but there's a vast number of places to rent that are not posted anywhere on the internet so you can just show up to a place and often get a better deal just by looking around um, and I kind of think that's easier to do as a couple because one of you can stay there with your bags and the other one can just go bopping around but in the old days that's the way everybody did it I mean I first started traveling in 94 as a backpacker and there was no online booking service right. so you just winged it everywhere you went you got recommendations from people that you met along the way or you looked at bulletin boards but you mostly just showed up and started looking and the advantage of that is you can negotiate, you can look at the room before you take it and you can ask for an upgrade and all kinds of things like that that will give you a better experience for your money. But if you do want to book ahead, you can pretty much anywhere now. I mean, you might have a tough time in a really small village, but if you're going to a capital city or a place where tourists visit regularly, you can find it on booking.com or on Hostel World or one of those sites. You can find a place to stay. But just keep in mind, those places have to pay a 25% commission most of the time to Expedia or Booking or the hostel sites. So right off the bat, they're 25% worse off by you booking online. So if you just show up and start talking to them, you can probably get a better deal just by taking that part out of the equation or at least get a better room. So there's advantages to both sides of it. I usually book the first few nights when I land somewhere because I want to know where I'm going from the airport. But then depending on where I'm going, I'll just kind of um, check the prices online, get an idea of what people are charging and then go there and take my chances. <laughs> yeah, I don't I mean, I know when I first backpacked around Europe, there was a lot of the I mean, in South America too, there was the the people showing up at the bus station with the photo albums of their places. So you could like look at the pictures of the rooms, you know, and you just kind of yeah, like, pick one and then like follow them anymore. off into the city uh to check it out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's... Yeah, I remember we got a place in India one time where the guy would go to the train stop before where we were going, oh. and then he would go around the train and do that and show pictures to everybody. And we ended up going to his place because it was a dollar a night, like literally a dollar a night. And so I was like, all right, that looks okay. 
Wow. One <laughs> dollar. <laughs> and, and there was one guy we met there who had negotiated them down. And we said, really? And he's like, yeah, I got it to 75 cents. <laughs> it's like, gosh, that's just cruel. <laughs> you know, I mean, pay the buck, dude. We've done Mexico, Montenegro, Albania. Since you brought it up, Kyrgyzstan. Am I saying it right? Kyrgyzstan? Yeah, we can we can hop off to Asia and then come back. But yeah, Kyrgyzstan is um, Kyrgyzstan. in the stands. Kyrgyzstan. Yeah. It's uh, a tough one to spell. A lot of Z's in there and a lot of uh, consonants. But it's over um, by the other stands. So near uh, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan. But this is the easiest one to visit because they give you a visa upon arrival. So that alone is a, a reason to go there. But it's also pretty well set up for tourists and it's not as vast as some of the others. So um, you can pretty much land at the airport and spend a night or two and then go off to where you want to go. And you're not going to spend days getting there. And there's a bus system. There's a train system. And it's pretty easy. Um the primary language is Russian, but a lot of younger people speak English because they see which way the winds are blowing and they know that's the language of tourism. So um, I did not learn any Russian while I was there and I got around fine. Mm. So um, it's one of the best places I've been in terms of mountain scenery too. And I've been to the Himalayas, I've been to Peru, I've been to Chile, but I mean, the mountains there are just incredible. And every thing you read if you go online and start looking at what bloggers have written you look at their photos and go oh my god and they're usually gushing about the place because it's just um when you go hiking there you basically move from valley to valley across these passes and it's just one incredible vista after another and you'll spend the whole day not seeing more than two or three other hikers you mostly just see shepherds (laughs) so uh it's a really great place if you want to feel like an explorer and feel like you're not, you know, joining hordes of tourists. And and it's a bargain. I mean, everything, hotels, meals, drinks, it's really a great deal. Yeah, I mean, I second what you were saying. I'm looking at a picture on your website now of it, and I was thinking the same exact thoughts that you just kind of – or the same sentiments that you just uh, kind of mentioned. And I think this really appeals to me, just the idea of being able to hike and kind of – see villages along the way and and not really meeting people, but then these beautiful mountain, this beautiful mountain scenery. And like you said, I mean, I feel like lately, I don't know if it just exploded recently, but I feel like in the last couple of years, maybe it's just me. I've just been noticing these articles, but this destination's kind of exploded as a popular up and coming kind of destination. Is that true? I don't know. I'm just maybe I'm just making that up. But I just noticed it's not really by accident. Uh, we have an organization in the United States called USAID, and they are the ones directing where our foreign aid goes. Uh, a lot of it, and they actually did a program in Kyrgyzstan to help their tourism. So some of that was infrastructure based, like um, helping people build lodges and marking trails in the mountains and doing guide training and things like that. But they also spent some money um, basically pumping up their press coverage. And so they brought a lot of people over, both traditional tourists, traditional writers, I should say, for magazines and also some bloggers like me. So um, they have stepped it up thanks to our um, U.S. tax dollars. I think that program's over now, but uh, it was it was an effective one for sure, because it definitely got the word out. Yeah, I'm trying to understand. Basically, we do that with our allies. 
Okay, yeah, I was going to say, like, what it, What was the incentive there? It was just kind of a nice thing to do? <laughs> no, it's it's a real tit-for-tat kind of thing. If we really dug into it, I think we would find that, oh, they let us put an air base there right. during the Afghan war, or they, or they let us, you know, put our uh, army training center there or something like that. There's usually some kind of... Uh, reason why money flows to a certain place i mean there's a reason why israel and egypt get more of our money than anybody and you know over time is because uh they're uh, helping us out with things and so yeah that's really it (laughs) yeah well yeah not a political podcast i guess so we won't go we won't we'll leave it at that but it's a worthwhile destination yeah okay (laughs) um i had one last question about that because i'm wondering about gearing up for that experience or like actually logistically making a multi-day hike, let's say through these mountains happen. Are there guides there that you hire? Is that something you need to do? Is it better to go on your own? Should you bring all your own camping equipment? Are there places to stay along the way? What's, what's the vibe there with the tracking and getting out into the backcountry? Uh, I would advise hiring a guide and and maybe a porter or a horse person or something, um, which is pretty easy to do. There's a city called Caracol, um, K-A-R-A-K-O-L and that's sort of the base uh, for trekking. It's kind of like Pokhara and um, Pokhara, whatever, in um, Nepal. Yep. So that's, that's where you can set it all up and um, you can go out uh, with porters. You can go out carrying your own stuff and just take a guide or you can um, go on, you know, an organized tour. There's some companies out there that like Intrepid, I think, that'll hook you up. But um, you could do it on your own. You're perfectly able. Um, but the reason to not two reasons not to do that, it's not always real obvious where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like, uh, the Annapurna circuit where it's super well marked. The other thing is, um, you would have to be completely self-sufficient because you can go for days without being in a proper village with, um, a real store, you know? So, mm. um, you kind of need to carry your own tent and sleeping bag and sleeping pads and all of that stuff, which is kind of a pain when you're going over a high pass and you're gaining 2000 meters in elevation in one day and then going back down again. So, um, I was just carrying a day pack, you know, and it was still hard enough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Cause, uh, it was tough. It was tough hiking. I mean, it was definitely the hardest hike I've done in terms of just physical exertion because some of the paths are just super steep and, and they're, you know, mountain goat kind of pass. And so you really got to work for it. And for the treks out of, what is the name of that town again? The sort of the trekking hub? Caracol. Caracol. Are you staying in tents or is it, you know, because in Nepal, of course, they have like the tea house trekking where you're actually staying in villages and places uh, with a roof over your head. And, uh, is it like that or are, is it more of a camping experience? So to do that, uh, do a, an experience where you're actually staying in a, in a place with a real roof over your head. Um, you would have to make it a short hike. So you could do like a two or three night hike where you can stay in places like that. Um, you can do a loop out from Caracol and do that. Or there's some other villages like Jergalon where you can do some loop hikes, some mountain back hikes. So if you want to do something short and have an easy place to sleep that is possible but if you want to do something where it gets out further into the countryside six or seven days then you definitely have to um it's a camping expedition for sure got it okay cool all right let's hop back to europe and i wanted to kind of mention that three of these five places are in europe right which was kind of surprising 
Yeah, it's interesting that I've added more in Europe than other places because people normally think Europe is super expensive, but it's not necessarily all that expensive if you go to the right places. I mean, I would say that um, these Balkan countries in Bulgaria, maybe even Romania, are kind of on par with Central and South America. Like, maybe not quite as cheap as some of the cheapest spots in Asia, but, you know, not bad at all. Like, you can definitely um, have a bargain vacation in these places and or travel overland for weeks and spend about what you would in Central America or, or the cheapest countries in South America. Yeah, for sure. And this is like totally unexplored territory for me, which always gets me excited about... Uh, I've just been very excited about Eastern Europe recently. And maybe it's because I'm based in Europe now. And I felt like when I lived in the States, I really did get to see a lot of it just through traveling for work and the kind of the touring life I lived, I guess. But I, so I feel like this is really an unexplored continent for me, especially Eastern Europe. So um, I was excited to see these three destinations on, on your list. And the last one is Bosnia. Let's give us the 101. Well, so as I put in the very first sentence in the book, when most people hear the word Bosnia, yeah, the first association is war right. <laughs> because uh, you think of the Bosnian conflict or the Bosnian war. But, I mean, that was 20 years ago. So yeah. uh, it's a different story now. I mean, it was a terrible time, lots of destruction. Uh, but, you know, like any country that's been through this kind of thing, over time they find a way to recover. And um, I really liked it there. I really liked the atmosphere. The two main cities are fantastic places to go as a tourist, and those would be Sarajevo and Mostar. And they're just great places to hang out. The atmosphere is is really interesting, nice cafes, and um, you can eat cheaply for, you know, you can eat really well for cheap. And there's not a lot of, like, big museums or, you know, sites to see. There's a really nice bridge in Mostar that you see pictures of all the time. And, but, you know, you, you go there more for the vibe than you do for the, the main sites and for the history, of course, to learn about, you know, what these countries have been through, through the ages. There's some really interesting tours in Sarajevo that kind of bring all of that back. But then there's some just nice places in the countryside to go to. And, and I did some incredible hiking around just like a half an hour from Sarajevo that the picture still, I look back on one of them, I go, oh, my God, that was one of the coolest places I've ever been. Really? Because um, just this, if you just search um, hiking Sarajevo on my cheapest destinations blog, there's a few on there. But it was just really dramatic scenery. And there's this hiking trail called the via Dianarca, I believe I'm saying it right, that runs from Slovenia all the way down to Greece, basically. Mm. And um, if you wanted to do the whole thing, it would take you a few months. But you can do you can do little pieces of it anywhere along the way. So if you want to go hiking in any of these countries we've talked about in Europe, uh, you can do it on that Via Dianarca trail and just pick up one segment of it and you can do it on your own or you can do it as part of a tour or whatever. Mm. But that trail runs through Bosnia and it's some of the most incredible scenery that um, I've seen in the mountains. And it's also a place where you were talking about before, you can do a hut to hut sort of thing or a village to village hike. So if I'd had more time, I would have, um, you know, kept going for days, but I did not have the time to do that, but I would gladly um, go back there and do a much longer jaunt because um, really just gorgeous scenery there. Yeah. That's, that sounds spectacular. Wi-Fi wise, how were these places? 
in all of these decimals. It was pretty much okay. About. Yeah, it, it was pretty much okay. It was, um, I don't remember having serious trouble anywhere. I mean, I, I wasn't trying to like upload videos to YouTube every day, but just normal web surfing stuff, it was fine. Um, I also have T-Mobile, which allows you to, you know, go online other places in the world with your data plan. And, and that worked most places until I got way out into the countryside. Yeah. So I was uh, happy to see that. And um, yeah, so actually a little aside here, one of the other countries in the book is Romania and actually Romania supposedly has the fastest internet in all of Europe. So oh, really? it's not necessarily true that just because a place is developing that, uh, they don't have good internet. Sometimes they kind of leapfrogged the, uh, more developed places cause they didn't have to start from scratch. They just went straight to fiber, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so they, they've got really fast connections, uh, hmm. in some of these countries. Yeah. Uh, how much time did you spend in Bosnia? Uh, I think I spent uh, two weeks total there um, counting the biking trip. So I toured around on my own first and then I joined that biking trip. And we stayed in a few different places. And on that cycling trip, there's this uh, trail you can go on that used to be a railroad. It's like one of those rail to trail projects. Oh, yeah. But the weird thing about it is it goes through these abandoned villages where, you know, the, when the war was happening, people just left and then they never went back. So there's all these shelled buildings and, you know, houses that people used to live in that are just sitting there empty with like donkeys walking around <laughs> and stuff because there's farms nearby, but wow. mo nobody's living in uh, most of the houses anymore, except you'll see one every once in a while. Well, it's got somebody in it and you're like, man, what kind of life are they leading? <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's wild. And it's cool to hear about a destination like this. Of course, as you mentioned, when you're thinking about history in the past, it's easy to have these sort of quick hit associations with a place and not even consider them as a destination, right? So getting these included in your book and kind of bringing them to people's attention, I think is a great thing because I'm sure tourism dollars don't hurt any of these places, right? It's only going to help the local economy. Yeah, for sure. And and this country, Bosnia-Herzegovina, which is the full name, uh, they actually have some of the highest unemployment in Europe. So they still have not fully recovered by any means. And I think I read somewhere where the average wage now is lower than it was before the war, even without adjusting for inflation. So I think the average wage there is less than $500 per month. So your tourist dollars will go a long way if you go visit. Cool. Which is, of course, the point of the book, right? <laughs> we'll mention it again because it's, it's right there in the title. The world's cheapest destinations, 26 countries where your travel dollars are worth a fortune. Outside of Mexico, Tim, because I, I know I'm going to take that off the plate because you live there and I know you have uh, love for Mexico. But out of the other destinations, which of those really stood out to you as your, say, your favorite? I hate to say, I hate to put it that way because it's kind of an unfair question. But which of those would be like the first one that you would go right back to first? Well, I've been to Peru five times and I would go back again. So I guess that one's high on my list. Uh, there's a lot of variety there. And, you know, people always have this image of the, in their head of Machu Picchu and it's entering over 
tourism discussions now because so many people go there, but there are so many other places in Peru you can go. And even near Machu Picchu, you go a couple hours away into the mountains near the Sacred Valley. And um, once again, you've got it all to yourself except the villagers. So yeah. uh, I, I love the scenery there. I love the way people dress. You know, the women still wear these colorful costumes and they're not doing it just for tourists. It's the way they dressed always and it's the way they're going to keep dressing. And Guatemala is kind of like that too. So I like Guatemala for a lot of the same reasons. The indigenous people um, still have a strong presence there and there are beautiful mountains, lots of things to see. You get the Mayan ruins there too, just like you get the Incan ruins in um, Peru. So but there's some parallels there. I like both of those countries a lot and I would go back to either of them in a heartbeat. And out of the new ones that you've added, which would be the standout one for you? I think I'd like to go back to Albania because I didn't see enough of it. It's a pretty big country and there's a lot of coastline and I did not even make it to the beach there. Mm. So I would like to go back and explore one of that, explore more of that. And here's a really important point for uh, any of the digital nomads listening. If you're American, you can stay for 360 days, I think it is, pretty much a year on a tourist visa. In Albania? So if you're, yeah, in Albania. So. If you are just looking for a place to go hang for a while and you don't have to worry about any visa hassles, it's a great destination for that. Or if you're stuck in this Schengen zone problem where you went to a Schengen zone country in Europe and you can only stay for three months, the way that rule works is you have to leave for three months before you can come back again. So it'd be a great idea to go to uh, a Schengen country in Europe and spend your three months there or several countries, then go to Albania and spend another three, six, nine months and then return again. So, um, you don't have to worry about it that way. And I don't know what winters are like there. They're probably like winters in Italy. It's, you know, not super warm, but it's not going to be all that bad either. Yeah. And I love, uh, when you mentioned Peru and Guatemala, the first thing you said is the people, right? I mean, you got the spectacular scenery in these countries and museums and all this stuff, but it really comes down to the people, right? Yeah, I think so. If you're, if you're welcomed and you feel like, uh, there's an interesting community there, interesting people to talk to it. Yeah. It makes the whole trip better. Last question. And you mentioned this a little bit, but what do you do to prepare to go to a new destination. I mean, you have your guide, of course, which is packed with info. Like one of the actionable things you said was you like to book a place for the first few days and you can kind of wing it after that. Is there any other stuff that you do ahead of time to prepare or what advice would you give to maybe assuage some fears that people might have going into one of these destinations that isn't as touristed? Well, I kind of prepare differently if I'm on a if I'm going to write about a place than I do if I'm going on vacation. I tend to do more research if I'm going on vacation actually. Oh, really? Because uh I feel like when I'm when I'm approaching as a writer, I don't want to have too many preconceptions and I don't want to repeat what other people have written, yeah, you know? So okay. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of underexposing myself. Like I'll do a little research to kind of figure out what my angle is going to probably be, what I want to focus on, but then I just kind of um let things happen as they happen. But like on this recent trip to Montana and Wyoming, we were going for a month and I did a ton of research before that because we were road tripping it. And, um, 
my days were up to me a lot of times to do what I wanted. And so we bought a guidebook, first of all. I mean, I think people kind of forget about those now and they're like, oh, well, I don't need that. I can find everything I need on the internet. And in a sense, that's true, but there's a trustworthiness there, I think, in a guidebook. And there's a level of research there that is really hard to duplicate from any online source. And so I still buy a good guidebook if I'm going somewhere for a while before I go to just, you know, research the places, see what sounds interesting, see what I should be looking for. And also to get a bit of history about the place that's not slanted, you know, I mean, I think if in a guidebook, it's usually pretty middle of the road and non-controversial that could present the history as it happened. So I do think it's a great investment to spend your 20 bucks or whatever getting a guidebook for a place, especially if you're going more for more than a few days. I mean, maybe if you're just going for a little bit, it doesn't matter. Go read your 48 hours in Amsterdam story. Right. But uh, I think if you're going for a long time and you want some more depth, it's definitely worthwhile to pick up a guidebook. It's one of the best bargains out there. It's also fun to just kind of have right by your nightstand when you're getting excited about your trip, you know? For <laughs> even, sure. Even if you don't want to travel with it or even if you know the places to sleep are outdated because it was published like last year, which means like all the research was done <laughs> a year or two before that. But there's something fun about flipping through a guidebook. I don't know what it is. It never loses its charm for me. Yeah, and that's the thing you hear people complain about like, uh, complain about the most is they'll say, oh, well, you know, the hotel prices are wrong now or the restaurant recommendations aren't any good, but that's not even why I use it. You know, I don't right. even get it for that. I just get it to read about the places and the history and the culture and the background. And it's like, okay, if I'm stuck on a restaurant and I can't get on my phone or I can't ask a person locally, then I'll look in the guidebook. But really, I'd rather ask a person locally. I don't look at Yelp that much or Chowhound or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. It's a, well, it's always, it's always a more rewarding meal, right? If like somebody local recommends it and then it's awesome. Or if it stinks, then you have somebody to blame, right? Like that guy down the road, <laughs> yeah. what was his problem? But yeah, uh, <laughs> if you ask three people and they all, if you ask three people and they all name the same place, there's a pretty good exactly. uh, chance it's going to have, it's going to be a good meal. Yeah. You got to ask multiple people because otherwise like you're just going to, you're always going to be going to like somebody's cousin's restaurant, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the problem in a lot of places. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's just. But on the, on the flip side, they might take good care of you at least if it's a cousin's place. That's true. That's true, man. Well, it's uh, always a pleasure, Tim. Anything else you want to share or I mean, this is the time to kind of, yeah, let people know where they can find you and all that good stuff. Well, my last piece of advice is just keep your variables open. I think people make the mistake of saying, oh, I want to go to this destination on this date for this long and stay in this kind of hotel. And that's pretty much taking all your options off the table. It's much better to say, all right, I want to go somewhere in September. I'm going to pull up Google Flights and see where the bargains are on flights and then see where where I can afford to go from those options and then plan your trip around that because hmm. you will have so many more options at your fingertips and end up spending far less by doing that. You're saying just pick like but one anyway, of these destinations first based on, say, like you take your 26 yeah. destinations and find wherever the cheapest flight will take you and kind of be open about... Yeah. Or if you want to go to Europe, you know, maybe just leave it at that. Say, I'm going to go to Europe, but I'm going to see where the best 
bargain flights are and then I'm going to check this book or some other source and figure out what my costs on the ground, where my costs on the ground are going to be lowest and maybe that's where I'll go for a while. And like we talked about before, it doesn't mean you can't go to England or Italy or France, you know, but maybe split it up and hop a budget flight to somewhere else while you're there and spend the bulk of your time somewhere else. It's pretty easy to get around Europe, you know, on a train or a cheap flight or something else. Um, so you don't even have to fly into your eventual destination. You can work that out with a second leg. So that's my last parting bit of advice. Yeah, that's great advice, I think. I mean, certainly I remember earlier in my travel days where it was a little, might have felt a little scarier to have things open-ended in, in a certain way at first until I got used to the fact that, oh yeah, well, you just figured it out and yeah then you just end up where you end up and it's all good. <laughs> a lot of it's your attitude, you yeah. know? Um, so I think it's if great you leave advice. your options open, if you leave them open for your itinerary, you might land somewhere or, you know, get off a bus somewhere and say, wow, this place is great. I want to stay for a few extra days. Or the converse, you might get somewhere and say, I thought this place was going to be awesome, but it sucks. Let's go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. I so mean, then you can move on. Yeah, exactly. So cool. We will link out to the book and some of the resources uh, you mentioned, of course, it's the world's cheapest destinations, 26 countries where your travel dollars are worth a fortune. Definitely worth picking up and also cheapest destinations blog. One of Tim's, uh, five websites, <laughs> but this is the one you'll want it's, related to this content, right? Yeah. And it's not just about where to travel. It's also about how to travel and, and get more bang for your buck. Yeah. Always love uh, chatting with you, man. And Hey, let's do it again soon. We got to do it again soon in person. I don't know. We'll, we'll find more destination angles. I know we will because I could talk about this stuff all day long. But <laughs> Yeah, we uh, we talked about this one time, uh, just fantasizing about it, and I still want to put it together someday that we will uh, plan some kind of cheap skiing in Europe trip and oh. uh, get some people together and yes. uh, go have a blast. Yes. If you're listening, hey, you're, if you're down, let us know. I mean, yeah, I want to... Yeah, we got to do the the world's cheapest ski destinations. Maybe that could be uh, the next guide, Tim. I don't know. Find well, they're excuse. they're in here. You just got to uh, <laughs> dig around a little bit. But I can tell you off the bat, all those places in Eastern Europe that have mountains all have cheap right. skiing. Oh man! All right. Well, it's getting to be winter at the time of this recording. So uh, on that note, I'll be. Uh, Jumping on and looking for flights right after this call. No. <laughs> thanks so much, man. It was really great to to have you. I really well, thanks for having time. me on. Absolutely. Yeah, it's always good talking to you, Jason. And uh, I'm sure we'll connect soon. All right. Sounds good, bud. See ya. All right. Bye bye. There you have it. Special thanks to Tim Leffel, my good friend and guest, for stopping by the show. What a list. What a list, right? Gets you fired up, doesn't it? And I'm sure locking in some of those travel plans coming up into the new year, it's always a good time to kind of sketch things out, make some space for travel, make sure the year doesn't slip away before you get a chance to go anywhere and see the things that you want to see and do the things you want to do. And I have a couple things to leave you with, a little food for thought around that that I want to share with you in just a moment. First, two quick things a thank you once again to Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. You love travel, you want to treat yourself a little bit, you need a little gear. 
pick up a backpack from Tortuga Backpacks or get one for somebody else if you need some gift ideas. ZeroToTravel.com slash Tortuga will take you to a link with the travel gear that I recommend from my favorite backpack company and you'll get 10% off when you go through that link. Just go through that link, do your shopping, and you'll get 10% off when you check out ZeroToTravel.com slash Tortuga. They've got day packs that are super packable that are just a great addition to any trip. Everything from that to smaller packs that you can use just for weekend getaways to packs that you can use for a trip that lasts three weeks, three months, or three years. These are hands down my favorite backpacks out there. 10% off with that link to Zero to Travel podcast listeners. Once again, zerototravel.com slash Tortuga. You'll also be supporting this podcast if you decide to pick anything up through that link because I'm an affiliate for them because I love their stuff. So thank you so much for them sponsoring this show and being a part of it and part of this community, hooking you guys up with the 10% discount. And thanks to you for being a listener and checking their stuff out. If you need something, I really appreciate it. Now, I got to get into a shout out here. First of all, Colleen (laughs) sent me a great picture of uh, it's just the steering wheel and hands and the Zero to Travel podcast on the radio as uh, they were going over, I guess, if I can pronounce this, the Atchafalaya Basin Bridge in Louisiana. I know I butchered that, but anyway, I love Louisiana. I just get good vibes every time I'm down in Louisiana. It's been too long since I've been there. So thanks for the picture. And I share that because, hint, hint, if you want to send a picture, that is one of my favorite things to open up on email when I get uh, emails from listeners to this show. It's uh, it's such a pleasure to see pictures of you all out there in the world. And by the way, you've heard me say it time and time again. This is a community-powered show, my friend. I make this show for you. So that means it's a two-way conversation. And if you haven't gotten in touch yet, you can always send me an email, jason at zerototravel.com. I read them all, and I love getting them, and I love hearing from listeners. You can leave a review. I read all of those. And I love to share stories from the community. I'm going to share one now. It's an email I got from Jordan. He said in an email, he said, I say your podcast has been comforting because not many of my friends have as much desire as I do to experience new places. They are all for a touristy weekend, but would never move cross country or go abroad. It's been nice to hear that there are so many people who have that gypsy spirit slash travel bug, et cetera and who are doing amazing things. Your pod has been terrifying and a wake-up call as well because I realize I've kind of fallen into a very materialistic lifestyle that I didn't really have in college. Most frustratingly, looking at my finances, I realized I could have taken several trips this past year if I just held off on some ridiculous non-essentials. Jordan goes on to say, I apologize for such a long email, but wanted to let you know you've inspired me to pick up my search for a job that will allow me to relocate to a new location and at least provide some opportunities to travel. I'm sure it'll be a long process breaking my sedentary habits, but feel supported in spirit listening to your podcast. Thanks again, Jordan. Jordan, you are supported in spirit, not only from me and the podcast, but all the listeners here. You can feel the vibes. You can feel the love here in this community. And I want to share this email as I leave you with a couple thoughts heading into the new year. We're not quite there yet, but I know this is a big time year for people to plan things out, whether it's travel or life things. I know I'm doing it. A lot of my friends are doing it, starting to set goals. Think about you know, how you're going to reassess your life and what things you might want to change. Maybe I'll start working out again a little harder. All these types of things start coming to the front of your mind at this time of year. And I thought this was an important email to share from Jordan, and I loved his um, 
just being so transparent and honest with uh, how he was feeling and mentioning that he had kind of fallen into a materialistic lifestyle. So this is one of the things I wanted to leave you with is as you approach the new year and as I approach the new year, this is advice that I'm giving to myself as well in real time. It's always good to take a look at your current lifestyle right now and is that aligned with your goals uh, and the things that you may want to do in the coming uh, year or beyond, or say 18 months? It's um, a good question, and it's always good to take a step back and, and reassess, right? And uh, sometimes we get down paths, we get a little lost, or we just lose track, or we're not paying attention, and things can go a little off course for us. Maybe they go a little bit away from our values, or a little bit away from our goals, or the things we really want to do. So I just wanted to kind of bring that to the top of mind today. I always like to create some questions that are thoughtful, something to leave you with. And also, I would say we have to, as travelers, consider what's happening with climate change and everything else. So as you're planning out your travels for the coming year, keep that in mind as well. You know, are there ways that you can cut back on your impact and still travel the world, still make those journeys, have those adventures, have those types of experiences that allow you to grow as a person, to learn about the world that we live in, uh, but doing it in a way that's less impactful. It's just a question I wanted to bring up. I don't know what the answers are. I know there are some answers. I know there are some things we can all do. Uh, For example, slow travel might be one of them, taking less flights, um, maybe doing more human-powered travel. We have a lot of uh, podcasts on bike touring and things like that. It's going to be a different thing for everybody, but it's something that I'm just asking everybody to keep in mind. That's all. I feel like it's part of my responsibility just to put that out there. I know we just did a show on destinations, some incredible destinations. Got you thinking about some new places to maybe go. So just wanted to, yeah, mention that here at the end. And I'm also going to leave you with a quote today so you can go and get about your day. This one from John Lennon, who said, there's nowhere you can be that isn't where you're meant to be. Thanks again for your time. Thanks for hanging out today. And I'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.